Okay, open your Bibles, please, at Joshua chapter 3. And if you are following your Bible on your mobile or whatever, you're allowed to read your Bible from it, but not to do your texts and emails. I have to say, it always makes me very nervous these days. I'm sitting in so many sort of meetings and, uh, you know, everybody's sort of playing around on their emails. Occasionally I find Facebook messages from someone who is sitting right in front of me. So I always make a point of saying, you were in our meeting at the time when you wrote wrote on Facebook or something. So there you go. Um, I have been asked to speak from Joshua chapter 3 and 4, which is one story, so we're going to read the story because we can't speak from it without reading it. It's a long story, so if you haven't got a Bible, you could lean over to someone else and say, can I please share with you or something like that, Uh, and uh, then we can actually read the story together. It might just come up, if we're lucky, we'll see. Uh, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Don't go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out from before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites and Jebusites. They were the people living in that land. See, The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So, when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is in flood all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he'd appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder 
according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now, the priests who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over. There's some wonderful little comments, aren't there, really? People hurried over. I expect they would, you know, in case the sort of the waters that were piled up suddenly decided not to be so piled up or something, you know. But um, anyway, the people hurried over. And as soon as all of them had crossed the ark of the Lord and the priest came to the other side while the... Sorry. And as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed, in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they revered him all the days of his life, just as they'd revered Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests carrying the Ark of the Testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground and the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran in flood as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean, tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you'd crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he'd done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Well, I have to say I don't really want to talk too much about the miraculous side of things in this story. And one of the reasons that we don't have to is because the Daily Mail's now doing it for us. Uh, you might not know this, there may not be very many Daily Mail readers here, but uh, this is just for your encouragement. Um, I managed to miss uh, um, most of the Pope's visit here because I happened to be in France at the time for a few days. Uh, and I actually missed most of the news, but daily I would say to Lorraine on the phone, so what impact is the Pope's visit making? Because I, I don't think these things are sort of to be ignored. And I think there's a, a very, very good impact. She said, oh, I'm praying for it. Every time I watch the news, I'm praying that, you know, our nation would wake up because of the impact of the Pope. And he had some very positive things today to say, didn't he? Well, in Friday's Daily Mail, uh, there were, first of all, there were some polls taken. Uh, and one of the clear ones is that 71% of our population in the UK say that they are Christian. 
Now, you and I might know that that perhaps needs some qualification. I mean, they're clearly not practicing in many ways or whatever it may say, but what they're saying is we are Christian more than anything else and we want Christian values to prevail in this country. And uh, I suppose that's very interesting in the light of what the Pope did say about the aggressive influence of uh, secularism that is going on in our country, which, of course, David Cameron doesn't happen to agree with, but there we go, um, that you know about. Well, the other, the other thing, it's, uh, there was a full-page spread here about, uh, as researchers prove the Red Sea really could have parted, you know, you might have seen this in the press. You know, there's one of the, these news uh, stories that's running through this week is how science has proved that the parting of the Red Sea really happened. And there's a whole page spread on how science backs the best Bible stories. No, how science backs the Bible's best stories. Sorry. Uh, and so there's comments on Noah's flood, flood, the ten plagues, the resurrection of Lazarus, the walls of Jericho, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adam and Eve, and the burning bush. And, uh, and all of these things are seen to be things that are being proved today and spoken of positively by scientific evidence. So if you want to know something about this story and the miraculous element, you don't need me to tell you about it. It's in the Daily Mail. Last Friday's copy, it's all there. And there's, in one sense, in one sense, the story of the crossing over in, of the Jordan is a repeat, of course, of the crossing over of the Red Sea for very good reasons. God was trying to say something to his people by doing it again. Doing it again. Take notice of that because we're going to come back to that uh, at some point, I hope, a little bit later on. You know, there are different seasons of life for every one of us. And there are different seasons in God as we walk with God that we face, some of which we like and some of which we don't like. I mean, that's the truth of the matter. And we find ourselves embarking on a new season. And Lorraine and I happen to be talking in the car about the season that we're in at the moment of embarking on some new things, not all of which is comfortable. And you, even when you know that something is the call of God, you find all sorts of emotions going on underneath, you know, and I don't really want this. I don't really like that. So there are different seasons that we walk through in God. As a people of God, there are also different seasons that we walk through. And one of the things I think we need to be asking ourselves in the midst of the story that we're following through uh, in this session on Joshua is, what is God saying to us corporately as well as individually? It's probably easy to apply things individually and not always easy to apply things corporately, but we need to ask, is there some corporate application to us as a local body of believers here? Because that's where God's put us. For the people of Israel, the time in the wilderness or in the desert of Sinai was one season. It was a very special season. It wasn't a season that where they, you know, <laughs> they didn't make their mistakes or everything was wonderful or rosy. I mean, you actually, when you walk through the desert, it's not really like that. I mean, desert's desert, desert's dry, you know, desert's barren. There's an almost amount you don't like about desert for sure. I mean, you know... When you're a people who like food, uh, as in your group, I'm pointing to you because, you know, in your group you like food. Uh, where do people like food? Where do you get your food from? Uh, you know, and at your group you might have to eat manna every week. I mean, and that gets a little bit tedious and people used to moan about that and that sort of thing. So it wasn't a perfect time, but it was a time of special favour. When God was around in remarkable ways, showing to his own people that he was their God. Times of 
healing, like the testimonies that we heard this morning, or times of open conversations, like we heard this morning. Those times, very, very important. It is though God saying, I'm around, hello, I'm here. And those are special times of favor. And God's people in the desert experienced his provision. They experienced miracles. They experienced actually a special relationship with their God. He was with them in a special way. Every time they moved, that cloud was there to direct them. At daytime, a, a, you know, an ordinary type cloud. At nighttime, a pillar of fire, a cloud of fire. Every time they moved. So there was a special relationship that they had with God in the desert. Actually, later prophets used to prophesy, or occasionally prophesied, that God wanted to take his people back to the wilderness to destabilize their lives a bit so that he could put them back in touch with God. And I just want to say that this morning. I felt God wanted to speak to some people who currently are feeling destabilized in life. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or to show me, but I know there are several here. Not, not because, out of knowledge, but I just know there are several here. If you are currently feeling destabilized, this is one of the means that God uses to take you back to this wilderness setting where you find God again. And you get close to God again. And you see his miraculous provision again. And you see answers to prayer again. And you feel his favor upon you again. And you say, he's my God. (laughs) And this is a precious season. So the desert is one season. And it had been a very special season for God's people. Not that they'd handled it perfectly or well or whatever. But that season was now coming to an end And a new season was coming. And it's a season which takes them further in the plan of God and further in the journey of God for their lives and further into God's purposes and especially further into God's promises. Because God had promised his people, I'm going to give you this land. Now, I desperately want to avoid making any comment on the Middle East and the Middle East situation and anything that goes on and promises made to the land and all of the land and all the rest of it. If you want any answer to those questions, I'm very happy to talk in another context, but I don't want to deal with it here. But God promised the people of the Old Testament that he was going to give them this land. And so he says, right, now there's another season coming. We've had this great time in the wilderness when you see how much I'm your God, your covenant God. Now I'm going to take you on towards the promises over your life. Now, let's be very clear that God has promises for every single person here. And I did appreciate the worship this morning and the sense of promise that there is over our lives as God's people every one of us created for good deeds and nobody can spoil them apart from you Uh, perhaps I need to stand back there and just (laughs) because some people may say oh, oh dear now look if God's put promises over your life and a destiny over you if that's safe that's secure that's God's promise How do you get into God's promises for you? Well, you get into them by walking with him. But I have a feeling that some of us walk down some pretty massive detours sometimes and wander into cul-de-sacs. For some people, those cul-de-sacs can take a few years. Don't think they have to, but for some reason they do. And it's like God waits at the end of the cul-de-sac and says, well, if you'll just come back... (laughs) The destiny is still there. And I, again, I had a feeling that God wanted to say to everybody this morning, I've got promises over your life, but you've got stuck in a cul-de-sac. You can come back. But you're going to have to stand at the end of this cul-de-sac and say, oops, I got this wrong. And you're going to have to come, turn around, come around, say, 
Lord, I think I got this one wrong. I've been messing around down this cul-de-sac. It looked good. It may be a cul-de-sac of relationship with someone. It may be a cul-de-sac of doing what you want. Self-will, as David Freeman prophesied to us this morning, or something. It will certainly be a cul-de-sac that has made you stressed and pretty tired of driving around with your own hands on the wheel. And God wants actually say, well, why don't you just come back and join my, and I'll drive you. So God's got plans for our life. And now was the time for God's people in this story of Joshua to enter into the land promised to them. When things were going to be different. Now we're talking about hard work, battle, fighting, clearing land, sowing, reaping, getting into the annual work of husbandry, agriculture, farming, because that's what taking the land means. So you move from a season of grace, when God showers you with blessing, even if you don't respond very well. (laughs) It seems to me that's the thing about coming to Christ, that God... We come to Christ and we find that God showers us with blessing and we definitely don't behave very well. (laughs) But he still showers us with blessing because he wants us to know what sort of God he is. But there's another season. There's one season of pure grace and blessing and it says, I want to take you to another season and this is about getting hold of the promises of God for your life and this season is called maturity and responsibility. God wants to take us into a process where we lay hold of some things and we start battling for some things that count. And actually we're battling for our future and we're battling for our destiny. But everything that's worth having has to be fought for. That's the message here. And it'll be the message over the next few weeks as well, as I, I guess. So... As we're switching seasons, changing seasons, and you know it happens in life. My parents used to say to me, being at school were the best days of your life. When I was at school, I never really agreed with that, of course, and I don't think any others of us would do, but... It was fairly easy and everything was put in your plate. Well, when you become a student, then there's a little bit more responsibility that comes with that and some of us (laughs) lay hold of that better than others some of us would prefer the grace still to you know but we've got a bit more responsibility and then when we get married we pass from actually a fairly free state as a single and now we've got some more responsibility No, we're not just looking after ourselves, we're looking after a partner and then children who come along and there's more responsibility. And that's, you know, there's there's certain seasons of life perhaps when we even face these transitions. We're crossing over further into God's promise. And then God wants to take us from a place where we're carried along by others to a place where we're planted out and fruitful in our own right, in our own life, where we face more battle. And I appreciate the group that uh, Rich and Esther were talking about, you know, which is to say, how can we fight for the kingdom where we are? Because that's what we're talking about. How can we see it come here? How can we see it? And that's taking responsibility for my patch the patch that God's planted me into. How can I take responsibility? Now, taking responsibility means that we're going to start rolling up our sleeves. It's not going to be given to us like it was before. This is our patch. Yesterday, Lorraine and I had to take responsibility for our patch, literally. It was the back garden. So there's work involved. It's a transition that's being made. So in this uncharted territory, because God says to these people, you've never been this way before. In this uncharted territory, what are the keys? 
If we're going to transition from pure grace to taking responsibility and influencing the world around us, what are the principles that come out here of this chapter? And that's all I want to try and sort of expound to you, as it were. It's just to look through the story and say, so what did they do? What was it all about? Well, the first one was very simple. They had to follow God's presence. Joshua said, now we're going to go into this. We're making a transition. We're crossing over from pure grace to maturity and responsibility. He said, well, I'll tell you what. The Ark of the Covenant will go in front of you. Follow the presence of God. Because you haven't been this way before. We want to know what to do, and it is an adventure. We don't have a map. They didn't have a map of this land that was, all they knew was there were Canaanites and Girgashites and Perizzites and parasites and all sorts of other things to clear out of this this land but they didn't have a map they didn't so so god says let's follow the ark should we follow the ark i wonder if i could make just a little comment on the ark because the ark is one of these profound symbols of some things that are ever so important the ark started off by being a wooden box which was then clothed, sort of overlaid with pure gold. And then on either side of that were two huge seraphim that were also sort of modeled on the side of the top of this box. And this box, encircled by these seraphim, was seen as god's throne the place where god sits now we know he's the god of the whole earth but that was still what was symbolized here this is god's throne the place where god sits but and you couldn't make an image of him of course you couldn't because he's bigger than that that's why they didn't make an image he's always bigger than anything that you and i could imagine he's bigger than that one of the things that we need to do often is to sort of throw away our small images and understanding of God to understand he's bigger than that. So we got this box and the seraphim and God's throne. On top of the box was a big thing that was called the, the atonement cover. Right In the center of God's throne is a big, big gold sheet that speaks of atonement. Here, right in the heart of God, God wants to make you one with him. And everywhere everywhere God goes, atonement goes. Everywhere God goes, forgiveness goes. Everywhere God goes, cleansing goes. Everywhere God goes, freedom goes. Because the atonement cover is right there on the ark of God. And in the box is the word of God, the Ten Commandments. And later on, a pot of manna and Aaron's rod. So we have the presence of God, forgiveness of God, the word of God, that's the authority of God, the provision of God. It's all there and it all goes together. Now there are tons of us who as we're going to claim the promises of God, we want God to be with us. We want him to be with us in blessing and provision and answers to prayer. But if we're following God as also his word and his authority right there too. There's cleansing and forgiveness but there's his word this is part of the mystery of walking with God and the place of the presence of God is the place of the authority of God as well which is why they always followed at a bit of a distance because that's where God's holiness was 
in uncharted territory, look for the presence of God. If you're making a transition and you're trying to find out how to take responsibility for where God has put you, you're going to have to look for the presence of God. One testimony this morning said, I was looking for a conversation here, but the conversation came there. That's looking for the presence of God. And one of the transitions that we, we, as Steve has said, that this congregation is trying to make is sort of from enjoying the presence of God and the life of God, say, we've got to take it out. We've got to get it out. We've got to be missional. But you know, it becomes very, very frustrating to try talking to people who aren't at all interested. I have an evangelist friend who says, I don't know why you guys sit looking at a tree with green apples on it, hoping that one day they'll fall off. For goodness sake, look for ripe apples and get with them. Look for what God's doing. Where's God? Active. There are signs where God's active. There are plenty of people who won't want to know. You can try and force your way in. You can sit there for hours, months, years. But why don't you try and look for where God's doing something in the hearts of people and conversations open up and there's interest being shown and so on. Say, well, there may be a time for them later, but it looks like this is their time now. So we're following the presence of God. That's why the presence of God is so important to us. And when we're not seeing the presence of God, and Lorraine and I were talking in the car, just driving in here and sort of saying, we're struggling with certain things emotionally at the moment. There is no question about it, but but is God right in the center of this thing? And uh, we had to say, well, actually, yeah, we think so. Because you even start doubting that sometimes, don't you? But we believe so. We believe it's a call of God to be where we are, doing what we're doing. So with all these ups and downs of emotions and things that we would like to be different and all the rest of it, we're going to go with the presence of God. We're not going to look for personal comfort. Because... Uh, <laughs> and this is this funny thing, isn't it? The wilderness was not a place of comfort, but a place of hardship, and yet God provides... And yet, when you're going in to get established somewhere, that's not a place of comfort either, because you've got to fight for it. So if it's comfort you want, it's probably not the Christian life you want. So, follow God's, follow God's presence. Secondly, secondly, prepare for God's blessing. Uh, Joshua said to them, the, chapter 3, verse 5, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things amongst you. Well, Today's preparation leads to God's blessing tomorrow. Uh, Somebody mentioned revival this morning. Is revival here? Oh, I pray so. I'm I'm a committed revivalist. Let me be quite clear. I'm a committed revivalist. I read stories of revivals to feed my own faith. I prayed for it here in Oxfordshire for years and years feel like you see some blessing of, but there's more than this. Where did the Welsh revival come from? It came from people who've been praying for years for God to move. That's where it came from. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. And what is needed for people to see the blessing of God tomorrow is vision today and prayer today and preparation today. And For these people who were consecrating themselves, it was a question, too, of cleansing. There is no question that this is a word that was used several times in the Old Testament, and it involves cleansing, holiness. If we want to be used by God, uh, it says in, um, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you cleanse yourself from this, 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 and this, you will be an instrument used for God's higher purposes and there is no question that if we won't be bothered to prepare ourselves then pray oh Lord God use me use me use me I, I know I've been a mess I know I've done that no 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 if you cleanse yourself Paul says to Timothy you can be used for the higher purposes of God then he says okay Verse 9, Joshua said to the Israelites, 
come here and listen. Stop and listen. Now, this is what happens. We say, we suddenly hear, it's time to cross over the water. Time to cross over the river. Take the promise of God. Take the land. Everybody gets excited. We all rush off. And Joshua says, no, stop and listen to the words of God. There's a rhythm in God. He sets promises before us, hopes, aspirations, dreams, things that we know he's laid out. (laughs) We're going to follow God's presence. We're going to prepare for his blessing. And then we're going to stop and listen. So how? So how? People may be excited by the adventure you may be excited by the adventure of God by possession of your promises by crossing over that's the time to keep listening this is going to be the key to entering fully into God's promises a couple of weeks ago Simon Shaw and I were sitting in the cafe and a friend of ours was sitting with us he said do you know and uh, Many of you will know him, Tim Johnston, he was sitting with us, and uh, he's part of the church in Harlesden, uh, it was planted in the last three or four years, and uh, he said, do you know a good book on the Sabbath? And I was gobsmacked by the question, he should just suddenly sort of spring that on, but Simon came up with a couple straight away that were in the college library, so points to Simon here, and uh, he said, you know, we live a busy life where, you know, most of our church are, you know, hardworking professionals, you know, in sort of up-and-coming jobs. We're working to get in the community. We're asking ourselves, what rhythm do we live at and what sort of Sabbath do we need to be any good for God? I thought, wow, this is wonderful. And I think it's the sort of question many of us need to ask ourselves, not to get into a religious game. When I was growing up, you know, certain, there were certain things you didn't do on the Sabbath ever. We didn't have a television, as it so happened in our house, but uh, you couldn't watch television on the Sabbath. You couldn't play cards on the Sabbath. You couldn't do this, that, and the other on the Sabbath. We're not going back into those religious sort of things. But is there a rhythm... And the Sabbath wasn't just a day of rest, of course. We said, well, I'll I'll do that on Saturday. I'll do something different. The Sabbath was unto the Lord. And is there a rhythm in the midst of our excitement about possessing our promises where we need to say, actually, at this point, we need to stand back, stop, listen. Because we're so quick to go off track, we need to be edged back on track regularly, like weekly, For many of us, our Sabbath is, our meetings are jammed between getting up late and, you know, rolling along if we can for 10.30 or whatever, and then 10 other activities on a Sunday so that our reflection time is squeezed out. In fact, we don't even think of it again because we rush on to the next thing. This isn't a criticism. It's saying perhaps we need to think about if we're going to cross over into our destiny a reorientation of our lifestyle that gives us the time that we need to reflect, listen to God and hear his word. Now I've got my numbers all round, wrong and you will laugh at this because I've just only just noticed it in my own notes. I've got 3.3s. <laughs> and that's because I put 1.3 in and then I jammed another one in and then I jammed another one in between them and forgot to alter all the numbers. So... You can work out how many points are coming, can't you? Okay. Thirdly, miracles confront... Sorry, miracles happen when you confront the obstacle. Let me explain what I mean here. Chapter 3, verse 13 says this. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth... Let me just... That phrase that they... that Joshua shoves in there is supposed to... Do you understand God is not confined to this box? Because the box leads the way. It speaks of God, but he's the God of all the earth. 
the one you're carrying with you people of Israel is the God of all the earth he is actually although they don't know it the God of the Girgashites and the Jebusites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and all the others he's the God of the whole earth when we see what God is doing we're carrying with us the God of the whole earth amen Could anybody say amen a little bit louder? Thank you. Right. We're carrying the God of the whole earth. And he says, and when you see, as soon as the priests who carry the God of the whole earth set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. This is always how it is. As you stand and look at the river, it keeps flowing. How are we going to get across this river? Mm, Don't know. When does the river part? When you put your foot on it. The risk of faith is the key to entering into our destiny and the promises of God. If God's said something to you, you're going to have to put your foot out and plant it on there. And this is what actually God said to Joshua. In chapter 1, which Steve spoke on a couple of weeks ago, wherever you put the sole of your feet, I'll give it to you. Wherever we will learn to take steps of faith... And do stupid people say, are you going to stand on that water? Yeah. I'm going to stand on the water. Because there's a destiny here. I believe God's spoken. Right? Only when we confront the obstacle will the miracle happen. Won't it happen while we're standing looking at it? Lord, I'm waiting for signs that this situation will open. It won't open up like that. Put your foot on it. Step into it. Step forward. Get on the front foot. There's land to take in Kidlington, which you're not going to take by standing, look at it. You'll take some of it by walking around in prayer, but other bits you'll only take as you stick your foot in the door. (laughs) Put your foot on it. Some of, some of us may be standing in front of situations which seem to us a little bit difficult at the moment. It's not going to change. Now I command this river to stop now. Oh dear. No, no, no. <laughs> you put your foot on it. God's already spoken. So you put your foot out on the obstacle because God's already spoken. This is the step of faith. We talk about it's like Peter getting out of the boat. It's like that book that was written a few years ago. If you want to walk on water, you need to get out the boat. And part of our mission clustering and all the rest of it that we're trying to do as a church is getting us out of the boat. And putting our feet out there to take obstacles for him. That's when miracles happen. I always thought of that man sitting, you know... Uh, the man with the withered arm who in the story of Jesus you know stretch out your arm I can't I can't I can't stretch out your arm when God said something there you have the power to do it because God's spoken a word it can be done there are many of us who need to understand that it's going to take stretch I can't because God's spoken Walk into the river. Step of faith. Because God said it. Miracles happen when you confront the obstacle. Then, watch for God's action. There's this funny balance in the Christian life that God turns up when you step out. God turns up when we step out. God turns up when we step out the boat.
people say, is this group right? Is this group right? Is this experiment right? Is this experiment right? I haven't got a clue. I don't think you do have a clue beforehand. You need to step out and then see God (laughs) showing himself to be a God who's faithful to his promises and his word. Is this course of action right? Well, if you've heard something from God, I said to Lorraine, there's a course of action. Feel we need to take the moment nobody else is saying seem to be sort of quite on the same page where we are I mean nobody else who's involved in it seems to be quite on the same page as we are and uh, Rain says what are you going to do so I don't have a choice something God's saying here so we have to walk forward. I could end up flat on my face. That will show that I didn't hear God. That's maybe one risk. <laughs> right. The other possibility, the other option, is that the waters open up in front of you. Right. So if you want the waters to open up, you're going to have to take a risk. If you want to enter into your destiny, you're going to have to take risks. If you want to enter into the promises of God for your life, you're going to have to take risks. You can't do this thing. You can't live the Christian life in safety, security, peacefulness, and a little cocoon. People say, oh, no. (laughs) I thought when I came to Jesus, yeah, well, you thought wrong. (laughs) If you have illusions, thus says the Lord, you will be disillusioned. Watch out for God's action. The Lord of the earth is actually doing things. I love this little comment. And the Jordan was in full flood. You may know or you may not know that one of the big arguments about did God part the Red Sea was, was it really the Red Sea where there was lots of water or, you know, was it the Sea of Reeds where there was just a few inches? Have any of you ever heard that discussion? Yeah. Well, if it was the Red Sea, it was a big miracle. If it wasn't the Red Sea, it was an even bigger miracle because all the Egyptians were drowned in it. <laughs> so, you take your pick. All right. But here we... You know, but it says this river Jordan was in full flood. It was probably April time. Snows on the mountains were were melting, and you know, river was rivers were rushing down into the River Jordan. It's not always in full flood, but it was and this is the comment this was in full flood. This was a miracle. And uh Joshua says, watch out for God's action. God does wonders in the worst of settings where things are most opposed to you. He does wonders there. The Lord of the whole earth is doing things in the Jordan. Water stops flowing and piles up and the priests stand on terra firma. Great. Everyone crossed over in one day on dry ground. The message says at that point, not a wet foot in sight. I like it. Not a wet foot in sight. Okay, and then we get this chapter 4, which is still part of the story. Because there's the miracle. We've read the story of the miracle. And then there's a whole chapter. I mean, the story is told in one chapter. And then there's a whole chapter that says, Now, I want you to remember this. Take 12 stones. Take 12 stones from the middle of the river. Take them to Gilgal. Set them up. And remember, and whenever your children say to you, what are these 12 stones about? Tell them, the Lord stopped the river Jordan. It was in full flood. And our fathers all went over onto Tell them, tell them, tell them. Why? Because the people of God have very short memories. And you and I have very short memories of things that God has said. And when we get into discouragement later, we forget what God has said and done. Can I commend to you the idea of journaling? Now, for some of us, that is a heavy discipline. I hate it. If I'm honest, I hate it. But I have a whole file of prophetic words on my computer, things that he's said. And I'm always impressed when we come to discuss something at the Bible college. Simon can trot out 20... This is what God said about this. Because we're very 
quick to forget. And we're quick to forget what God has done in the past. And there are great stories of God's provision. And, you know, and I think it's good to hear testimonies this morning. I want to pray for many, 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 many more testimonies week by week by week. But let's not just tell them on Sunday and forget them. Maybe we need to write them down, store them up, miracles of healing that we've seen. We're not very good at this. Because we're sort of instant people. God said, I don't want you to forget the deliverance of God. And that will do two things. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. Two reasons. To set up the stones. To remind you that God's powerful. And so that you keep on fearing him. You keep on staying respectful. (laughs) To the king of the whole earth who you're carrying with you who's done these mighty deeds if we're going to lay hold of God's promises there is a crossing over that needs to happen from pure grace where everything flows down that's good, that's valid, but it's a slightly immature way of living. Two, Lord, you put me here, you've planted me here, you've promised me this territory, I want to take it for you. It's a laying hold of responsibility in your school, in your college, in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood. We're going to cross over and take responsibility there. If corporately we're going to lay hold of God's promises, we need to cross over fully from being how can I say this? Passengers in the body of Christ who enjoy the favor of you know being part of the church to people who are going to take responsibility. To see the kingdom come in our patch. And who understand that we're here to fight for the promises of God in our lives and in our communities and wherever God has planted us. There's a crossing over. And God wants us as individuals to. We'll still enjoy the grace and the favor of God. But there's a crossing over from living on that to living in this. I think that's what God wants in our lives. Amen.